Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Strange New Worlds edition. Star Trek seems to be getting real big in 2022. No doubt this year, Dave, will be remembered as the year Star Trek fully returned. Yes. With all the, the avalanche of content that has kept us busy nonstop, a lot of the bells and whistles. Yeah, I can't imagine 2023 being any bigger than this, unless maybe that's the year we get Star Trek movies again and our TV shows that I don't think we can handle it. That's just too that's, much. That'd be a lot to ask for, Mike. Too much Star I mean, Trek. Think about it. We currently technically have four epi- four series running back to back throughout the year. You've got Picard that just ended. Now we have Strange New Worlds. We got... Um, Lower decks that's going to be coming and Prodigy is going to be coming returning. Yeah. And then on top of that, they've already announced that Picard season three is going to be coming around and we had the return of the TNG crew. It's going to be a very busy couple months. I'm ready for it because I'm a little pessimistic at times. I'm nervous with this much Star Trek now. At first, I wanted it. I was greedy for it, Dave. I was like, yes. "More Star Trek, more Star Trek." And now that we have it, now I'm now I'm stressing out that it might be too much. Like, ooh, much. let's back up just a bit, just a bit. I Slow think, down. I think we've 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 been learned our lesson, Mike. Think about it. I mean, like, ever since we were told, "Oh, we're gonna get Picard back. It's fantastic," and then the Picard it's uh, season one happened. Everyone now has tempered themselves it's almost kind of like we've been struck in the face do we want to get struck in the face again come on (laughs) as long as it's all solid content nothing has to be perfect nothing is perfect (laughs) but as long as there's an an obvious effort that's being put into quality content then i can never complain with too much star trek but my fear is that the quality will dip will dip because of the, the amount that's being pushed out yeah, or we may create a backlash. I mean, that is what happened in the 90s and early 2000s. It's the reason why Star Trek went away for almost 20 years on the on the TV side because yeah. it there was Now think about it. A lot of people got burnt out during the Rick Berman era. Think about this. There were just two shows running at the same time. Yes. And consistent Star Trek from what, 1985, 1986 until 2002, roughly? Mm-hmm. 2003, perhaps, maybe that's closer. And that almost 20 years of Star Trek at the end of that, people were a little fed up. It was was a bit some backlash. That's why Enterprise got canceled. So hopefully that's not the case here, because now we're having we're having essentially three, if not four live action Star Trek series running at one time. So we'll see. Only history will tell, David, whether or not this is sustainable so far. 
everything's going smoothly. So, oh, so far everything's going smoothly. But I mean, like, think about it too, Mike. I mean, everyone constantly says, oh, this is the first time that this has ever happened. No, it isn't. Because you brought up a very good point. History is kind of, I'm not going to say in a doomed way, it's repeating itself. But think about it. Back in like 1990, the 1990s, you had TNG running. You had Deep Sp- uh, DS9 running. You had then Voyager and then Enterprise. And they kind of all four of them went back to back at one point. So they had four shows going back to back with each other, lasted many seasons. And here we have five shows running back to back. Yeah, that's that's pretty that I'm like, going, OK, just learn from your past mistakes. Don't yeah. burn us out. Slow down. Slow down. Yeah. All right. If you're new to our show, you might ask, what do we do here? Well, we break down, discuss and analyze each new episode to come out of the Star Trek universe. You can find all of our discussions on iTunes, Spotify. Those are our preferred feeds. But you should be able to find our podcast pretty much wherever you listen to pods, podcasts. Just search from the holodeck and give us a rating and review. It helps. In fact, we have a contest right now going on that potential listeners can win some Star Trek swag. And I'll go over the details again in just a bit. Okay, so the lords of Star Trek of the Star Trek universe have delivered yet another strong Star Trek episode the episode in discussion that we are going to be discussing and breaking down today is the third episode of the first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds titled The Ghosts of Illyrian. And it does a few interesting things. It takes ideas that have been talked about within various Star Trek series over the years and not to reiterate, but to reframe or I suppose recontextualize uh, value judgments as it pertains to the idea of genetic modifications. That was definitely one theme there. Yes. Uh, this, of course, has been an ongoing part of Star Trek storytelling since its conception. But what makes this episode unique is its approach and overall messaging, which is quite different than most of the previous commentary on eugenics. Uh, Rather than being absolute in his thoughts on genetic modification, the writer of the episode uh, takes a more diplomatic approach. It posits, I want to say they posit a philosophical question masked within the idea of prejudice. Yes. Essentially, that question being, should an entire group be judged by the actions of a few? Mm -hmm. Uh, The eugenics debate has been used in Star Trek for decades. Uh, The two big ones that come to mind to most fans would be uh, number one, Khan and the eugenics war of the late 20th century. And in Deep Space Nine, it was revealed that Dr. Julian Bashir was an illegal augment. Yes. And in the end, remember, his parents paid. Actually, it was I think it was just his dad that paid the price. Yeah. Because he was arrested in the end. And in each of these scenarios, there's always been a subtle question posed. Is this view and augments justified? And this episode took that that questioning, that philosophical question, and pushed it a little further. Mm -hmm. And that was more or less the direction they took in this episode, which we're going to get into in a moment. But first, I want to remind everyone about our Patreon page. We put a lot of time into producing this show each week. And for us to continue, we need from the listeners. 
to consider pledging to our Patreon page. And when you do so, you will gain access to thousands of hours of additional content. There are different choices to choose from. We have a $3 tier, which is our behind-the-scenes tier, where subscribers gain access to all of our pre-shows, plus a monthly RMD bonus show. Uh, the pre-shows are one of my favorite things we do because it's more casual, more of a casual discussion. Usually it takes place before we start recording our official broadcast, and we tend to discuss a lot of stuff about Star Trek that we don't always have time to discuss during our regular show. But we also have a $5 tier, which is our podcast tier. With this option, subscribers gain access to all of our behind-the-scenes tier stuff in addition to additional bonus podcasts that we put out that range from discussions on the latest Star Trek news, specialty topics pertaining to aspects within the Star Trek universe like its philosophy, the Maquis, the Borg, Q, and Star Trek book reviews as well. Uh, two discussions we have coming out very soon for our Patreon subscribers is one on the Star Trek Picard No Man's Land, an original audio drama, and a review of the first original Star Trek novel, Spock Must Die. Yes. So head over to <laughs> patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. Okay, David, without further ado. So the big thing this episode did, did was flesh out the Enterprise's first officer, Una. Yes. This is a character that we literally know nothing nothing not a zero we didn't know anything about her for obvious reasons this is a character that was a part of a pilot that was canceled it was canned it was yes. disliked by the network so much that they recast the entire cast pretty much for star trek and only kept Leonard Nimoy's spock that was it so We've never really been given much about this character, but what we learned in this episode is big, big reveals. Uh, we were, it was revealed that she's not even human. Yes. She's Illyrian. Mm -hmm. Illyrians are a spacefaring species that I want to say was originally introduced in Enterprise and they were from the Expanse. So they were introduced during that time I want to say season three of Enterprise when they were on a mission to find the Zendi. Uh, and these creatures, or I should say species, they're, they believe in genetic engineering, engineering, which essentially places a black spot on them when it comes to the Federation's view of genetic manipulation. Yeah. Did that come as a surprise to you, Dave, when they said that she was an Illyrian and she was genetically modified? Were you caught off guard or were you pleasantly surprised? Well, define caught off guard. Like, was I, was I hating the idea? No, I didn't hate the idea because just like what you said, uh, said earlier, this is a character we have zero idea of her true backstory. Yeah. Zero. So anything that they do, this is one of the, this is one of those moments where I basically go, okay, give me something creative. Give me something that I can, that we can build off of in this character. Yeah, a platform, a right? A platform. Yeah. Because essentially Una before this was just. She's a blank slate. A blank slate. Yeah. Especially when you, even when you go into the pilot of the menagerie and, and everything else. She's a blank slate. There's not much you can you can gloss 
over on that character. And yes, I know that there's a lot of Star Trek fans saying that, well, there's a lot of expanded universe that was actually explained about her. Yeah, but it's not canon. But it's not canon. Yeah. That's the that's the kicker there. Yeah. This is a time when we can actually have official canon on this character. Right. And doing something like this, while it may be jarring to some because, oh, wow, that's a huge, that's a huge factoid for a character to take suddenly. When the character's a blank slate, that's okay. Because essentially, there's no right or wrong answer. No, this is something, Dave, that you and I, I want to say we talked about this in depth when she was first introduced during discovery second season. Yes. We had said that, that if they put together a star Trek series with Pike and this crew, that there's so much they can do. Yes. And we had mentioned specifically Una and we, we went into some areas that they could explore, but we didn't go into great detail because we didn't know that there would be a spinoff series. But when they did announce that there would be an official spinoff series with this crew, one of the first things we said was, it's going to be great to see what they do with this character, Una. Yeah. Because we don't know anything about her and she's an intriguing character. Oh, she is. So in my opinion, I like this background for Una. It's going to pave the way for some interesting stories. The writers could use this to make the character not only interesting, but also give a type of literary life to the character. And what I mean by that is that this aspect could be used indefinitely from a literary standpoint to pose crucial philosophical questions that's going to strengthen the overall show and the subsequent episodes. Look at what Ira Stephen Bird did with Dr. Bashir in Deep Space Nine. Yes. It opened the door of possibilities and there were, there were numerous episodes that they explored the Federation's ethical views of genetic modification. And it's it, honestly, it's, it's one of the moments too from D DS9 that's always stuck with me is that those episodes with Bashir and O'Brien, that uh, the, the most famous scene for that storyline is O'Brien sitting. I believe they were like sitting in the promenade or something. And O'Brien telling Bashir that it doesn't matter what, what they did to him to genetically engineer him. He's still a good person. That's all that matters. Mm -hmm. And that moment I thought I always stuck with me from DS nine because it's one of those really strong points of philo uh, philosophy when it comes to this philosophical debate. I'm not going to say argument because it's like it's a debate. Yeah. It's a debate, yeah. you know, just because you're, you've been, this is your quote unquote lot in life. Does that make you a bad person? And like the whole genetic engineered thing is really fascinating to me because I'm glad you brought up the fact that in parallel, it is very much like a, a prejudice, uh, yeah. ag uh, not agenda, but a, a prejudice story. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much like a racial uh, debate pretty yeah. much. And I know there were some people on the internet that were feeling like possibly the writers, the strange new world writers were, were undermining some of what Gene Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry's ideal ideological views on eugenics by 
walking the middle ground a bit. Yeah. And of course, I feel like some have a short-term memory because as I mentioned a few moments ago, Ira Stephen Bird did the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like for the purposes, the purposes of this show, this aspect is going to end up working really nicely for the show because it's going to open up those avenues. But just to look at the original series for a second, um, obviously back in the 1960s, this was probably not the plan. However, no. you can draw some correlations from the original series pilot that can easily fit with Una with Una's genetic background. So yes, we know this wasn't the original idea, of course, but the Tolosians that captured Pike in the pilot episode yes. referred to Una as having superior qualities, superior qualities, which does work with this development in strange new worlds. And it shows a bit of, a respect, a level of respect for what came before. And I know that I, I bring this up because I know there's a lot of f- fans out there who are totally against the Kurtzman era. And they always find so many things to complain about that have nothing to do with the actual academic quality of the show itself. It's more nitpicks and, and fan gripes, fan expectations. And to see people complain about the lack of respect, allegedly, that these new writers have for Gene Roddenberry and what came before, I feel like this is an example of them analyzing and studying the past and really knowing where they can do certain things. Because the fact that you have a Telosian say that she has superior qualities, it just seamlessly fits with the fact that she is Genetically engineered. Genetically engineered. She, especially the way she was portrayed, she was portrayed as almost uh, almost higher intellect than anyone on the crew. Yeah. Like she was a computer, basically. And how many times when you go back and you watch uh, that pilot episode where it just seems that Una is like the smartest person in the room, even smarter than Spock. (laughs) <laughs> and there are many times when I look back at that pilot, I go, you know what? While that wasn't said what her, her background was, you kind of get the sense that for some strange reason, Una just had a better quality to her than any of the other characters. Yeah. And that's why an element like this feels, feels natural, feels organic rather mm-hmm. than forced. Because again, remember for the most part, Una is is a blank slate. Yeah. And when you have Rebecca Romaine, dude, portraying her, I think that's a really good, I think that was a genius casting to this day because Rebecca Romaine has really taken this character and ran with it. She's making it her own. And it it, it should be stated that I think at this point, if we are going to remember Una as a character, kind of like an icon, like like Captain Kirk and Spock, and we always we 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 tag mm-hmm. that actor to that character. I think Re- Rebecca Romaine is getting getting there faster than say even like with Anson Mount's portrayal of Pike. Anson Mount's portrayal of Pike has been fantastic, but when it comes to kind of achieving that that accomplishment of saying no, that character that's played by so and so. I honestly think Rebecca Romaine is ahead 
of Pike and and especially of Ethan Peck playing Spock. In, in what way? In in what way that in, in that basically after this season, I really think when it comes to Una. We'll only re- we'll only say Rebecca Romaine is the actor that oh, needs okay. to betray. Her. All right, you, you you think she'll be the breakout performance? She'll be the breakout performance. Okay. okay, because when you take a look at what she was able to do in this episode, giving the character a lot of essentially a lot of depth. When we tell it as it is, that Una was a blank slate. Yeah, there's nothing really to her. But in one episode, we got so much character development on her to the point where okay, we see where her character now is going. Yeah. And we needed to have something like this fairly close to the beginning. If you're dealing with Una, I mean, I'm surprised this wasn't the second episode because even though Uhura is a legacy character, I feel like we know not. I mean, yes, to be perfectly honest, we don't know a whole lot about Uhura either. She's never been fully explored. She hasn't. No, she's been around for a long time, but she hasn't been fully explored. So I understand them wanting to jump in there and do that for the second episode. And it worked just fine. I think, I think that's their way of jumping into the shallow end first, going into the shallow end, because like with a character like Uhura, I don't think they could have gotten anything wrong in that past episode. I mean, even me and you have stated that that episode was one of the best we've seen in a very long very, time. Very well written. It was yeah. very well written. And I think that because of that, when you take a look at it, the, the fact that they chose Uhura feels like this was their way of easing in and mm-hmm. introducing characters. Because let's let's be honest, we already know Pike. So episode one made sense about like sticking with the story of Pike and going forward. Yeah. But we need to be introduced to this entire crew now. Let's ease everybody in and introduce them first to a, a legacy character like Uhura, and then we dive into the <laughs> the deep end by taking a t- taking a big gigantic leap into establishing a character that, while it, it it is a legacy character, there's not much to her. Yeah. So there's a lot of give that you could have done in here, and I was really impressed. talking about Una. Una. Yeah. There's a lot they could they could have done, and I was impressed with the choices they made. Yeah. I don't know if I would call her a legacy character, though. Maybe for a lack of better phrase or title. I mean, she's she's part of a pilot, dude, that was never really seen by anyone until years later. Uh, I agree. But however, just because of how I'm a stickler for like history, by far, that pilot is the very first piece of Star Trek. Now it is. Yeah. In retrospect, yes, it's the first episode you watch whenever you stream it. It has retrospectively become a part of canon. So, all right. So when it comes to the genetic engineering aspects of the episode, the way the Federation and Starfleet view genetic augments, I suppose. I suppose it's um, it's a bit murky when you analyze through a more contemporary lens. Okay, meaning in the 60s, more people viewed eugenics as as dangerous. 
Yes. I mean, the devastating effects of World War II were still very fresh on everyone's mind. And Hitler's obsession with eugenics, eugenics. or his version, which I believe was referred to as racial hygiene, yes. uh, led to genocide. So despite the obvious benefits that could come with an ethical eugenics program, this particular area of science was openly considered off limits due to the negative connotations brought on by the extreme views of the Third Reich. So in the 60s, for Roddenberry to use that as a bit of a staging ground for this ideal world and the eugenics war being almost like a stepping stone to World War III and then boom, that's the moment that humanity became better. And that's why we, you know, in this fictional world of Star Trek, everyone became united, united. And, and the world became better and humanity became better because of this. So having that as some cultural context is easy to understand why Roddenberry had crafted this type of warning within the ideological makeup of the Federation. But fast forward into contemporary times, the times we are in today, things are not so black and white. Mm -hmm. We as a culture are moving more towards sciences that support eugenics and yes. transhumanism. Yes, so things are not as binary as before. Uh, that being said, because human nature is flawed, there will and should always be warnings that come when, uh, when it comes to tampering with the genetic code. Yes. And that's why ultimately an episode like Ghosts of Illyria is such a good example. I mean, it, it did a good job of bridging the philosophical and ideological gap brought on by 50 plus years of cultural advancement. It takes a core principle embedded within Star Trek canon and uses it to pose those important questions pertaining to prejudice and tolerance and also firmly states the idea that a group should not be judged based on the actions of one. So it goes back to what we had said um, with the earlier seasons of Discovery, how it's not about undermining what Roddenberry had established. It's about questioning it. Yes. But through questioning, what do you do? You strengthen those ideas so when you have an aspect like this you're strengthening certain ideas and reevaluating and possibly growing i mean is that the point of star trek is growing as a culture and and being enlightened so an aspect like this and an episode does just that and when you bring in laanne oh into God, the dude. equation that was awesome i actually love that moment because it brought the whole argument of eugenics front and center so that Honestly, you can you can look at that moment when they tied in uh, her heritage with Khan and basically say this is the argument of eugenics. You know, because this person comes from that lineage, does that make her a bad person? And it's like because she was genetically, you know, engineered. Yeah. Does that make her a bad person? And then you run run that in parallel with the the I think the the ethical argument of eugenics, and it's basically it, well, that's basically Anne is basically case in point. Exactly. Like, should you judge an entire group on the actions that's of a, a few? One person, and then you bring in Anne, who is a character directly connected to the very reason why the Federation shuns. The tampering of DNA. Of DNA. And it, and for people who don't, because I've seen, I saw a couple of people talking about how the, they didn't understand, they don't understand the philosophy behind the, that this particular episode at this point. 
because they can't phantom basically someone, a, a group of people being judged by one person. People forget that back in World War II, after World War II ended, there are descendants of Adolf Hitler. But they change their name. They go into hiding because they understand that one person just changed their entire life. Being connected to that person, being related DNA to that person marks them for the rest of their lives. Right. That is essentially like basically. That's Laanne. Laanne right there. Yeah. And that's why I was like, uh, I felt that this, that, that was a genius way of posing this argument, this debate about eugenics is it right or yeah. is it wrong is it immoral because the whenever i see the actual definition i looked it up it was interesting to me to see that some uh, the the actual definition of eugenics is eugenics is the scientifically erroneous and immoral theory of racial improvement and planned breeding that is the official way of pe how people see eugenics. But it's not. It's so much more than that. Eugenics can be used to get rid of to diseases. To get rid of diseases. And, you know, uh, hereditary um, things that are hereditary, like if you know, heart attacks heart run attacks. in your family or high blood pressure or cancer. or That's the big one. Or people who are on the spectrum. There are benefits to eugenics, but we that's why I say practicing ethical eugenics, because also we can go down a very slippery slope and we start eliminating things that we view as imperfect. Imperfect. And exactly. that idea, what if we view Mexicans as imperfect? Yeah, let's do away with the genetic code for Mexicans. Whoop, no more Mexicans. So you do have to be careful for, you know, when it comes to eugenics. And that's why when you have an, a show like Star Trek uh, doing more than just dipping their toes in these philosophical questions, they're delving into the deep end with these philosophical questions and posing, you know, they're not saying one is right and one is wrong. They're posing the question and leaving that interpretation to the audience. The but audience. that's where the land stuff comes in. So well, because it shows the strategy behind the writing, the fact that you have Una be a character who is genetically enhanced, and then you have Lyanne who lives with a black mark essentially because of her last name, and you use the two to strengthen the very th theme that you were using and the philosophical notes in an episode. It just feels so complete and it strengthens the overall episode when you do something like that. I mean, do you fear and judge Leanne because of her bloodline or should she be judged based on her own merits? Is that not the question they posed? Absolutely. Yes. So a few questions though. Now, as far as I remember, David, now I want to say I mentioned this during our Picard season two discussion. Khan was considered a myth. But the episode in Picard, as well as this episode, made it sound like he was a well-known historical figure. So I hope they clarify this a bit. Now, I, I suppose there is some room for interpretation mm -hmm. as to whether or not he is a, an absolute historical figure in the world of Star Trek or at this point, or if he is considered a myth. But if you look at the Star Trek wiki... Give me a second here, because I do have it. I have the entire breakdown here. Okay. But I want to make sure 
Okay, in the final episode of the third episode arc that brought in Eric Soong into the third season of Enterprise, there was a discussion with one of the characters that were Augments, and he alluded to finding or seeking out the Botany Bay. And he, here's the exact line. Soong asked Malik what he would do, but Malik is uncertain, only that running away is not the answer. Malik then asks if Soong is familiar with the Botany Bay, a pre-warp vessel launched at the end of the Great Wars. Malik goes on to recount how the vessel left with many of their brethren, including their leader, Khan Noonien Singh. Soong states that the Botany Bay is a myth and that there is no evidence it ever existed. Malik believes that it does, but his point is that Khan made the fatal mistake of running away. Okay, so it's been established that there is no concrete proof he ever existed. So I suppose if there's a myth and it becomes almost like folklore and the name Singh is the myth, then I I suppose it would still work with what they're doing in this episode with with Lyanne. Yes, I think that that's what it's looking at with Lyanne. Is because if you're looking at 200 years ago, roughly, and hey, there's a rumor that the Singh family was the the cause of the Great War. The Great War. There's no definitive proof, but it, stories tell, word of mouth says, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, especially since when Khan is first introduced, it is established that, oh, there is a quote unquote reputation that he already had. So because of stories, because of stories. Yeah. So I, I suppose it does work. It, it works to some degree, but I do agree with you that they have to kind of clarify, clarify that a little bit. Yeah. I like where they went because they're trying, it really feels like they're trying to blend it. They're trying to actually, yeah. I think I mentioned this a long time ago when we talked about the character con a lot of, with a lot of, moments when they mention the character of Khan, it feels like they're trying to turn Khan into say Vlad Tepish of Star oh. Trek, where he has this mythical background to him, but he was a real human being that did horrible things. Right. But he gains this like mythical, almost side story or almost like this mythical persona that runs parallel with him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they're trying to do here is try to blend blend the idea that Khan was seen as like this mythical almost Alexander the Great uh, great type of leader during the eugenics war right in the Botany Bay and then the reality of it where there was a, a Khan and he had his descendants but he he still by historical truth was one of the biggest factors for the eugenics war yeah so we agree that it can still work. It could still work. Yeah. I mean, they didn't break it. No, they didn't. But I felt like it was definitely worthy of discussion since we have mentioned it a few times now about it being a myth. So we figured, hey, let's flesh out that idea and see whether or not it still works with what we were being given. And I would say it does. Well, the character of Khan, dude, is I know very simple, very simple ways that a lot of like pop culture people and, you know, simple Star Trek fans look at it and just say, Khan is just a simple villain. Like he, there's more to Khan <laughs> than what they've, they, that, than people I think that 
are watching Star Trek now, you know, those those fringe fans really do understand about that character. Khan's an extremely complicated Khan character. Khan is an, an extremely complicated character because when even when you go back and watch S- Space Seed, by the end of the episode, you're kind of like left going, was Khan really a bad guy? Not really. He should have I mean, been born 500 years prior. If he was born 500 years prior... He would have been actually a leader of good. We would have studied him in history books. I'm, I'm talking, of course, in the context of this fictional world. Yes. He would have been just like an Alexander the Great. We Alexander would have studied him as a great warrior and a conquistador of sorts, I guess you can say. So, yeah. All right. So the Deep Space Nine episodes that we keep going on about, I feel like they are worthy of a, a brief mention here because they are deeply connected to this whole philosophical question that the writers of strange new worlds are posing about whether or not you should judge one person on the actions of many. Yeah. And Dr. Brashear's storyline where it was introduced in D space nine, that he was an augment essentially. It was in the fifth season and the 16th episode of the fifth season titled Dr. Bashir, I presume. And that is where we find out that he had, he was essentially mentally challenged yes. as a child. He was mentally challenged. And yes. his family um, wanted the best for him. So they illegally found a place that would genetically change, rework his brain to make him intelligent. And in doing so, they made him who he is. And it played a fantastic part to his story oh, yeah. because he never truly had the confidence and self-esteem that he, maybe he would have had if he didn't even know if he knew he wasn't modified because he knew he was genetically you know, repurposed. He never felt like he was a real person. Yes. And he struggled with the ideas that he was different than everyone else. So it was such a great uh, story. It was a powerful story for that character. For that character. And it went, I want to say, as I said, it started in season five and they use that aspect throughout the the rest of the, what, two, three seasons that we had left after that, five, six, and seven. In fact, there was another episode that was directly connected to that and it was called uh, Statistical Probabilities and was dealing with other children that were genetically changed like Dr. Bashir and it showed a little bit of the unethics of, of the Federation, <laughs> which is what D Space Nine did very carefully at times. And very and, well. And very well. I know there are some people out there who think that D Space Nine is, is, is just as guilty as the Kurtzman era when it comes to undermining certain things that Roddenberry had done. But, but what it did was it made the world of Star Trek feel a little more real by posing these types of questions and you have the federation who frowned upon eugenics and yet when they needed to they relied on these children to help them win the war against (laughs) the dominion exactly yes so it was definitely an interesting story arc and i do suggest if you have not watched deep space nine go back to it because uh or you should go check it out and if you want to revisit if you have watched revisit those episodes they're quite they're done quite well. It's 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 a really it's a really underrated storyline because like dude, as I alluded to earlier, that is one of those storylines that stuck to me to this day as a, a Star Trek fan watching it back in the day. The story of Bashir dealing with that notion and then feeling that 
because he had to keep the secret and it makes him imperfect. It actually makes him imperfect. Whereas they were trying to make him perfect. And then like his friend O'Brien, who is probably the perfect foil to Bashir in this storyline and He's like the conscience of Bashir and telling him, no, it doesn't matter what they did to you. It matters what you do with what they've, what, what they've been, what you've been given. It's your actions that count. It doesn't matter what the, what they've done to you. And it's one of the really most underrated, powerful moments for a philosophical question for uh, a person for, for Star Trek when they challenge like those ethical mental issues type of storyline because it really does delve into the 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 mentality of a person who feels like they're not perfect <laughs> yeah good stuff good stuff all right all right was that english <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what language that was would that cling on <laughs> all right let's go to a quick break and then when we get back we're going to jump into the rest of the episode Slip the dogs of war. Fire everything! All right. So from now until the end of Strange New Worlds, we will be giving out two sets of prizes through a drawing. There's two options listeners need to do to be eligible. Rate, review our podcast on iTunes or Spotify, or subscribe to our Patreon page, $3 or more. From May 15th through July 7th, take a screen grab of your subscription or rating or review and send it to at from the holodeck on Twitter or Facebook.com slash Star Trek from the holodeck. And you will be entered into our drawing. The first prize is the Star Trek Strange New Worlds Key Art Premium Poster with Pike on a horse standing in front of the Enterprise it's so fucking macho. <laughs> There's so much testosterone in this picture. Uh, second prize is a From the Holodeck t-shirt. As I said, to prove that you have done one or the other, just send me a message with a screen grab of your rating, review, or Patreon subscription and send it to our Facebook feeds. If you're already a Patreon subscriber or you've left a review and rating, I will allow this to be your entry. You have to send me a screen grab so I can include it into the drawing. Patreon.com slash Rayman Digital is our Patreon page. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. All right, welcome back, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. 
So despite most of the episode being centered on or around Una and the Illyrians turned plasma creatures, which by the way, the visual effects were so on point this episode. And when they showed those plasma creatures coming from, or the, the plasma <laughs> Illyrians were coming yes. from the, the, the electrical storm, man, I love it because for me, that whole thing felt very much like a classic Star Trek episode where you have the bizarre aliens that, that were not always humanoid. I feel like that was my biggest problem with later seasons of TNG and Deep Space Nine. It became more and more about humanoid aliens and all they did would put like a little ridge above the eyebrow or a ridge below the nose you know, little things to say, oh, look, they're aliens. They're aliens. Exactly. But with the original series, they were known for having the non-humanoid aliens, the true, the truly bizarre, which fit with the 1960s and a bit of that pulpy, campy vibe. So I'm glad that the original series elements are being used in Strange New Worlds. And when they go to these explo you know, these planets, they're seeing things that are unexplainable. Yeah, dude, I, I think that that... That is one of the reasons why I am really loving Strange New Worlds because as as a fan of the original series, as much as I, I have been, this is the this is the series that gives me the vibes that this is an homage to that. If you look at like all the other series, Discovery, go even to TNG and DS9, they don't all the shows feel different. But Strange New Worlds literally feels like it's a continuation or even a prequel. I, 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 I'm well, sorry to use it that is word. A prequel, it Dave. is a prequel of the original series. It feels almost like a prequel or a sequel. But, well, David, <laughs> well, because it, it is. is. But just. I get what you're saying. It feels it. more in, in sync. It feels in with sync. With the original series. Yeah. No, and I get what you're saying. That's the, that's why I think I love the show so much up to this point is because I turned on the episode and I'm like, going, I feel like I'm watching like an old Gene Roddenberry episode and it, it just feels right. Now, listen, David, yes, as a Star Trek fan, that's very enticing and it gets me all excited when we see things like that. But also this show does need to stand on its own. So Give us those similarities, but also this show needs to blaze its own trail. So yes. give us things that make us feel like it fits in this time period, but also make sure you explore new paths and, and, and be your own show. Otherwise history won't really remember this show favorably. If it's just a carbon copy or a take two, if you will, of the original, of the series. original series. Yeah. So outside of all that stuff with Una and the Illyrians, we were given a considerable amount on Mbanga. Uh, this is another character from the old POS days. Yes. I believe he was in just two episodes of the original series. Does that sound right? It was two episodes roughly, right? It wasn't very much. I believe so. So I wouldn't call him a legacy character, but he was established in the original series. Uh, but this is a character that did generate a lot of interest and curiosity when it was announced he was going to be used in Strange New Worlds because of the part he did play in the original series. Uh, anyway, we learned that he has a daughter. And she has an incurable disease, so he stores his daughter inside the transporter <laughs> to keep her alive. Yes, that's both dark 
and morbidly depressing. It is, isn't it? <laughs> that's why that's why I brought I was like when you get to the very end and you have that moment between Una and they piece it together and they find out that basically Ubanga's big secret is the fact that he Did you call him Lubanga? Or because I, I think that's the guy that said um all I need is a little Tina, Tina on my, on my side. side. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Lou Bega. Yeah, that's who it is. <laughs> is that what you said? I'm pretty I think sure so. that's what you said. I think so. By oh, it's awesome. late. It's late. But when they get to the, his big secret reveal, it did leave me with the vibes of, wait a minute. Ethically, that can't be right. Yet Una makes the decision just like what she did for Pike or what Pike did for her and said, Hey, I'm going to keep the secret. We're going to work on it. And we're going to figure everything out. She does the same thing to, to the doctor. And I'm, but I'm like going time out. Isn't that ethically immoral? I think I, guess, I, I guess, I guess it's not ethically. I th- it's not ethical. It's more immoral because like, well, he's, Essentially locking his daughter away. He's trying to save her life, Dave. I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's immoral. I, I don't want to, I don't think it's a value judgment by any means. I would say ethical was probably, if ethical you are. Ethical is better? If, ethical. Eth- yeah, I would definitely, it's more ethical than. Immoral. Than moral, yeah. Or moral. Uh, it's not a moral issue, it's an ethical issue. Although I don't feel like they were posing that question based on his daughter being stored in the pattern buffer because we've seen this done before. And plus, yes. I mean, we do this in today's society. The the rich, you know, can freeze their bodies and freeze their heads so that they can come back to life when science is there that would allow them to come back to life and possibly cure a disease that they might have had. So this is something that is already being worked on here in our own contemporary time. Yeah. So I don't think it's an ethical issue per se, but when it comes to the daughter being stored, I feel like what it does do, it does pose an ethical question, but it's not about the daughter being stored. It's about Mbanga keeping a secret like putting his daughter in the transporter and not telling anyone. And then because of that, because of his actions, he allowed uh, an alien virus essentially to come on board the enterprise. Uh, That's I I feel is the, is the bigger question they were posing or at least presenting because I mean, he's a doctor and (laughs) the fact that he is the head doctor and he's the reason why the virus spread. I mean, essentially Mike in weird sort of way, if you take that adage, right? Essentially the doctor Passed along this disease willingly to the other crew members. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, if I was Una, I'd be like, you, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> You're the type of guy that has AIDS and had sex with me anyways. Aren't you? <laughs> as funny as it sounds. Oh my God. I kind of like that. It is kind of like that. Yeah. Well, David, you know what? He, um, he allowed a dangerous virus and you thought uh, he was Lou Bega. <laughs> exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mambo number five. I 
need a little Una. A little Una on my side. One, two, three, four, five. Everybody in the car, so come on, let's ride to the liquor store around the corner. The boys say they want some gin and juice, but I really don't wanna. Beer buzz like I had last week. I must stay because talk is cheap. I like Angela. That's horrible. Well, oh you said God. it, David. Yes, not, I, not did. I. You I did. did. I did. I will. I will. I'm gonna I let will that definitely camera, own that. For let that. that camera zoom in on you. Just sit. <laughs> let that camera sit on, on you in shame. Shame. <laughs> now I'm going to actually just be constantly looking at the poor character and the actor going, Lou Bega. It's all good. Let me jump in. Please in the trumpet. A little bit of Monica in my life. But again, dude, I mean, again, this is goes to like that strength of taking a character that is pretty much a blank slate. Yeah. And adding more depth to that character and more background to that character make us understand that character. Well, look what they did in the episode overall. They made Una a lot more interesting. Yes. They gave us some stuff to go on. And then they did the same thing for Mbega. And it goes to show you that as a writer, you don't always need to give an actor 45 minutes of character development in an episode. Look what they did with Mbega. They gave him maybe five Six minutes of total screen time. Leanne probably had maybe three or four minutes, and yet they used both of them so perfectly to help the main storyline, which was about posing ethical questions pertaining to eugenics. And think about it, dude. I mean, like, me and you in the history of this network have covered series that they take seasons to do what they they initially d- did in this episode. Well, I feel like that's the downside of a serial. For example, the Mbega stuff we probably wouldn't have learned about until, you know, episode eight. Episode eight. Episode nine. So there are some pros and cons of when it comes to episodic versus serial, which we probably will discuss more in depth at the end of the first season of Strange New Worlds after we see how it all pans out. It'll be really interesting. Yeah. All right. So some final tidbits and our final thoughts. I had a feeling Hammer or Hammer, Hammer might Hammer. end up being my new favorite character. <laughs> so far, he might be. He might be. We haven't got a lot on him yet, but I love whenever he's on screen. He has that just angry disposition, you know, that <laughs> that's a lot like, um, I guess, McCoy, right? Actually, he's yes. Kind of willing to say whatever he does on care. his mind. If I'm if if I'm thinking it, I'm gonna say it. I don't care if I hurt your feelings. Yeah, yeah, I like it, and, and I'm really anxious to learn more about this character. And it's also understand it, we're willing to accept it because he's alien too. Because if this was like another like hu- a, re- a regular human character, I honestly think he'd been more grating than anything else. But because of the how they have crafted and portrayed this character so far, yeah, it's it interesting. Works. I like it quite a bit, David. Give me your final thoughts on the episode as well as your RMD score. And then after we do that, we're going to talk about what others are saying on social media. I, I posted some questions on our social media feeds and I did get some replies. So we'll get to that as well. Well, continue. I feel that right now, Strange New Worlds is on a hot streak. They've gave us three episodes, in, including this one that are very strong. I mean, the last episode, we nearly gave it a hundred, I believe. Um, With this one, I actually, they continued the trend. 
I gave last episode a 95 and I, after thinking of everything and looking at it, the whole episode, even critically, Mike, I felt this is another 95. It's another, it's a really strong episode. It's, it comes close to being one of my favorites too, because the amount of work they did on Una, uh, La'an and Mbenga, I think it was genius because when I took a look at it afterwards, when I was looking through my notes, I'm like going, there are many shows out there nowadays that have tried to do what Strange New Worlds has, has done in this one episode and tried to make it into a season. And it's a slog. I mean, mm-hmm. the CW is infamous for it. The episodes are tight. Yeah. So far, the first three episodes have been extremely tight. Extremely tight. They and have I- intent. It has purpose. And then they close it out. And I like it tight. I like it tight. Oh, do you? <laughs> you fucking loose prejudice. <laughs> that is prejudice. <laughs> I didn't know where to go with that. <laughs> okay, so 95%. 95%. Okay, I did enjoy this episode quite a bit. It was another example of the writers definitely understanding the nuances of episodic television while also continuing that emotional um, overarching story or I guess overarching emotional myth arc that keeps the show connected. I, I do think that's the strength of this show so far. As I said, I'm not quite sure how the episodic format will end or how I will feel about the episodic format by the end of the season. But so far it's working out just fine. We're learning about our new characters. There's plenty of character development to go around all while exploring new iterations of the Star Trek universe, the Illyrians and the visual effects were fascinating. The idea of wanting to reverse, reverse who you are yes, in order to fit with the collective. I mean, that's a strong statement as well. The Illyrians had their fate was because of prejudice when prejudice. you really think about it. Yep. So it was a it was fascinating all all across the board. They gave up their individuality. That, that when you think about uh, it, dude, yeah, how powerful? How powerful a message is that when you take a look at that and say, an entire race, because of the amount of prejudice that they face, decided to remove their identity and their individuality just to become a collective. Well, you can also say when you look at it that way, or you, if you choose to interpret it that way, you can also say there's some messaging there about assimilation. Yeah. You know, about cultural assimilation, cultural assimilation. There's a lot to say about this episode and because of that, and there's also different ways you can interpret it. And that's the reason why this episode's strong. I'm giving this episode a 90% on the arm D score, which is a what? 93% for a network or show grade. Yes, that's definitely nothing to scoff at. Okay, so let's see what our listeners are saying on social media. Let's Do they start. hate us? <laughs> Do they hate us, Mike? Let's start with Facebook. And if it gets negative, I'm just going to turn it off because I, I want to be positive. <laughs> I want to be positive. There's too much negativity on social media to get wrapped up in it. Uh, Luis Torres says, it's a crying shame how removed and disconnected from the things that made it great. And no, it has nothing to do with the look, but the acting and the horrific writing. As he, he's talking about Strange New Worlds. Talking about Strange New Worlds. This specific episode. Really? Because the question I posed 
was, hey, Star Trek fans, what are your thoughts on the latest Star Trek Strange New Worlds episode? We will read and discuss your thoughts on an upcoming podcast episode. Uh, Doug Mappin says, loved it. Lots of cool developments. Kevin Overturf, hard for me to understand the doctor. Okay. Rodrigo Pina, where is the new Star Trek show? Streaming. Okay. You know what? If you can't find a show that's on the internet by simply searching Star Trek Strange New Worlds, then you don't deserve to watch a fucking show. Stephen Rose, will you let, we'll let you know once it's on free TV. Oh, fuck me. I, I hate people. I, David, I'll tell you now, I have not read these. This is the first time. We'll let you know once it's on free television. <laughs> and then the guy that wrote the negative the negative post about it having horrific writing says exactly to that guy's post. Free, is there such thing as free television? Because I don't think there is. You realize that you're paying to watch TV with ads, right? Like, so if you want basic TV, well, welcome to the 80s. You can enjoy three channels because nothing is free. Cable is not free. You're paying for it. And if you can't afford $4 for something that you allegedly love, because you can get the ad supported Paramount plus for like $4. Yeah. That's not a lot of money. Pretty much. I mean, that's less than a gallon of gas. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays. Yes. Uh, Craig belt says, Hey, where can I find star? Oh, why these people, where can I find the show? Uh, the good thing is there are fans out there that are telling them, Hey, Paramount plus. Okay. So Matt Stevens says it was okay. The least of the three so far, in my opinion, but still pretty good. I agree with that. Actually, uh, Jill Lee. So good. It's everything I love and expect from star Trek. I love the episodic trend. Uh, Chris Patterson says enjoying the varying stories, but each Trek has done a similar type story. Scotty was stuck in the transporter for 85 years. Others were infected one way or another. Enjoy the new crew for sure. Kenny Rourke, I loved it. Joanne Comic, I like it. Number one. Oh, wait, I like number one. Yeah, okay. Can't disagree with that. I like her too. Uh, Derek Coverdale, not seen any of it as of yet. Don't know what channel it's on. Can someone help me out, please? David, are people unaware that the very thing they're typing on at that moment when they're writing this message is also the same technology they can use to search and find the show. Yes. Wow. People are stupid. Uh, Chris, <laughs> Chris catcher catcher said, I loved it. Rachel Clemens timely. Okay. So there was uh, I would say it skewed to the positive. So that's they're a good skewed thing to the positive. I mean, you have the outliers, which, um, it's always going to be there. They're, they're going to be there, especially since I understand. Uh, I also understand those fans too, is kind of like, they're just really set in their ways, you know, Star Trek. What, what ways is that Dave? You know, their old ways. What, they what want ways to, is that, Dave? they want to just hold on to, I don't want to say archaic ways of looking at a series, but I'm sorry, you're not going to get for verbatim, you know, a straight page to page to script. Do people really definition want more of episodes of, of the original series? Of the original series, Imagine yes. if we went back and actually carbon copied the same vibe and feel of the original series. It would be canceled in a week because it's 
dated. It's no matter how much we love it now, it would not work except for a very small group of people. You have to modernize your television. Otherwise, there will be no Star Trek. And if people don't understand that, I don't understand. I don't understand how people don't understand that. Okay, so Christina Johansson says the ANR is such a fascinating species. Uh, there's a newish book that feature them, and the actor Bruce Harak has already impressed me. He seems to have the same dry wit and bite as Jet Reno and Leonard McCoy. That's what I said. Uh, it's a character trope I really like. I agree with that. Uh, she also states the the Uhura comments are all about her hair. Uh, I, too, was taken aback by Uhura's short hair, but then I had the mind-blowing realization that hair grows. <laughs> <laughs> she has a little smiley face there. Uh, she'll have long hair by the end of the series, and canon will be intact. Intact, yeah. Yeah. People need to relax, right? I think they that's do. what she's essentially saying. It's like, oh, I had the, <laughs> I had the, the realization that hair grows. Yeah, I could have said it better myself. Okay, so this does bring us to the end of our discussion. If you want to add to the the discussion every single week, please look for those posts that I will be uh, putting out on Twitter as well as Facebook. And you, like your voice can be heard. It actually wasn't. It wasn't that bad. It actually wasn't. I'm actually happy to see that there wasn't. Trolling behavior. Yeah. <laughs> trolling behavior. All right, David, but I am going to troll you one last time. Here we go. A little bit of Erica by my side. All right. A little Everyone, see you later. Bye-bye. Live long and prosper. A little bit of Sandra in the sun. A little bit of Mary all night long. A little bit of Jessica here I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.